0: Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five star review, even better. If not, tell us why we are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast. But we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day. Go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is a location-independent entrepreneur who began traveling the world in 2008. He's worked as a scuba instructor, fought professionally in the sport of Muay Thai, wrote multiple books, and built his business overseas. He has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Entrepreneur.com, England's Top 100 list, and even been written about in the Danish magazine Information Denmark. He hosts the Travel Like a Boss podcast and is the founder of the Digital Nomad Super Conference, the Nomad Summit. Please welcome to the show, Johnny F.D. Johnny, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. Johnny, why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory. How did you get working in this field? How did you decide that you wanted to start traveling internationally? I'm super curious. I want to hear...
1: Yeah, so I grew up in San Francisco, went to University of California, you know, graduated with honors, had a good corporate job at this big international uh, American company called Honeywell and had the normal life. You know, I had my Kirkland signature white dress shirt, suit and tie every day and I just realized after a few years that the corporate life wasn't for me and I just wanted to take a trip. So, I had read the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, decided to go to Thailand to kind of just go clear my my mind for two or three weeks and when I was there I realized what what like what am I working so hard for let me just give this a shot
0: now and that's when I made the move so you you read the book you decided to take a trip now that trip did it extend did you come back did you you know spend another couple of years getting ready and preparing or how did that work
1: so on one of the last days of my trip, I went scuba diving for the first time. And luckily, it was a really long boat ride, maybe two or three hours you know, to the island. So I had a lot of time to think. And it was on that boat where I had decided, I want to move out here and just give it a shot. I had to go back because I had just signed another year's lease for the house I was renting. I had three cars at the time. I had you know a job, I had a girlfriend. And I just had to clear things up. But when I went back... I was planning to make this, this transition over a year, but I had realized that if I waited another year, I would never do it. You know, you just start accumulating things. You start, you know, uh, you know, buying things with payments, you get to debt, or, and just things kind of just weigh you down. So I realized I got to go now. So <laughs> instead of waiting a year, I gave myself two
0: months, bought a plane ticket, and just made that journey. And what happened to the girlfriend? Did she come with you or was that it? Sayonara. <laughs> like, a <poor> uh, girl. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, I, I think at the, at the time, I, I had realized we were really only together because it was comfortable and it was convenient. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, we liked each other, but it, it, there wasn't a big future. And I think that's what happens, you know, living in the U.S. or living in a kind of westernized you know, country when you have a good job. Everything is comfortable, but you're not really happy. And it's with relationships, it's with career, it's with hobbies, it's even with your your circle of friends. We're kind of just born into good enough or what's available around us, and we never mm-hmm. really think to expand our horizons. I had never even thought scuba diving was possible. I had seen it on Discovery Channel, but I never realized that I could be the one underwater, you know, swimming with fish. And it wasn't until I made that first trip that I realized hey, there's so much more in this world that I can be part of and not just watch on TV.
0: Well, absolutely. Because, I mean, in North America, a lot of it is just passing the time. You know, it's like, well, this is okay. I mean, it's good. I have a decent job. I have a decent life, a decent home. But I think that you're absolutely right. A lot of people don't, you know, strive for something extraordinary. And I don't know exactly why that is. If if people don't believe it's possible or maybe it's not possible for them, it's possible for other people, but not for them. I don't know. It's weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me it was always time or money, right? Where yeah. I either, you know, didn't have the time so I was working so much, but I had, you know, I, maybe I had money to go on a one or two week vacation or I had tons of free time, but I never had the money to go out and do anything. And it wasn't until I discovered kind of the geo arbitrage hacks, where as a lot of you listeners know now, you can have both time and money. And it just wasn't even an option for me when I was living in Southern California, you know, spending four grand a month just on rent and kind of basic utilities and a car payment and health insurance. I had nothing left over. I mean, I was making 50 grand a year and it was a decent salary, but I literally had nothing left over to spend. While in Thailand, if you can make four grand a month or even, you know, half of that, you can live a good life and have free time.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So continue the continue the timeline because I'm, I'm really curious here. So two months went by, you liquidated your stuff, got rid of your place, sold the cars, I assume. You just... Jumped on a one-way flight or or what happened next?
1: Yeah, so my original plan was to go and spend, you know, three to six months in Thailand and then come back and work for a few months, save up money again and go back, you know, again. And part of it was, you know, it was easier to tell my my parents and my friends and my family that it wasn't a permanent trip. It was just that I was going to go, you know, for a couple of months at a time, just give it a shot. But I think in the back of the, my mind, I knew that once I got out of here, that that was it. And I remember my my first, you know, trip back to the U.S. was was after you know, the the three or six you know, three or four months as planned. And I realized it's such a long, tedious flight. And when I went, and when I went back to the U.S., I realized there was really no point. I mean, if I can if I can just stretch my money a little bit a little bit further, and you know, maybe pick up a side hustle or something, I can just stay out there. And it's way cheaper than flying home. And even, you know, even cheaper than, you know, just living in the US, you know, even if I was staying with friends or family, it would still, still ends up costing me more than having my own place and enjoying life in a lot of these countries.
0: All right, so that's amazing. So I know that when I was doing my research and I was reading some of your stuff, and even in the intro today, I saw that you did Muay Thai professionally, you were working as a scuba instructor so did you go into into these types of things as soon as you arrived in thailand
1: yeah so my my plan as crazy as it sounds was i wanted to be you know i wanted to work in diving and it was the only way I could think of where I could afford to go diving every day. I mean, mm-hmm. when I went on that, that trial dive, I just fell in love. And I knew that was something that was missing from my life, that there was a big chance I never would have even done. If, if it wasn't for that trip to Thailand, I, I probably would have spent my whole life never trying it. Just because in the US, it's not really something that you know, any of my friends have ever done. And I did the calculation and I realized if I want to go diving every day, it's going to cost me, you know, three or four thousand dollars a month to do it as a tourist or as a paid customer. But if I can get a job in the industry, then I can not. Not only can I do, you know, get paid doing it. I, I then I can do it for free. Is, uh, you know, not only can I do it for free, I can get paid to do what I love, and that was my goal. So I remember I showed up in Thailand. I went to a, you know, uh, the, the the best dive shop I can find, the one of the the best recommendations, and I put down my deposit and said i want to become a dive master and they looked at me and they said how many dives do you have and i said four and they laughed <laughs> you know it's kind of no, like saying like that's saying awesome. Like, that's, yeah. that's
0: awesome that's like you know? love at first sight man that's awesome
1: yeah i mean and it's almost like the equivalent of someone like walking into like a brazilian jiu-jitsu school saying like you know you know i want to be a black belt instructor and you've only had you know Two days of experience in your whole life, but I just knew that no matter what it took, no matter how long it took, this is what I wanted to do. So they tried to to talk me into just paying for the first class and seeing how it goes. And I said, no, this is what I want to do. And I spent the next four years doing it.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I'm a I'm a scuba diver as well. I've done my masters and dove in probably 15 or 20 different countries. And I do know that feeling. I mean, It's not like, oh, you're just going underwater. It's like you're being transported to another planet. Like, it it is just so wild. And there is so much depth, you know, and that's not supposed to be a pun. But, I mean, there's so many things within the diving space. Just out of curiosity, did you gravitate to any special thing? Like, I really loved wreck dives. Like, I thought wreck dives were the coolest thing in the whole wide world.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny. I've I've done so many dives now and I've, you know, I've dove, you know, world famous wrecks. I've, you know, but I've I've always just liked easy warm water clear diving. So mm. even though I've been to, you know, past 40 meters, I like, you know, diving in, you know, 12 to 15 meters of clear blue water and just looking at fish and just hanging out. I mean, it just it's been you know I think that's my thing like I like having the least amount of equipment possible. I, I hate cool. diving in wetsuits you know I hate having uh flashlights or you know cave gear. I just want to go <laughs>
0: and just hang out with the fish in clear, beautiful water. just Zen tranquil, chill out yeah that's sweet man that's awesome okay so okay, so practicalities practicalities so so you arrived in Thailand, you put down your cash, you got your um dive master license that same company hire you or you moved on to another one what were your visas like how were you able to stay in thailand how long you said you were there for 4 years like walk <laughs> us through some of those practicalities cuz we're 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 missing a couple steps here
1: yeah so if i had listened to all my friends and family you know about like visa regulations or work permits and all that stuff i never would have went cuz it was so complicated and it still yeah. is today but luckily Thailand, you know, back in 2008 was kind of the wild west where you can go and do something called a visa run where you hop on a bus or a minivan uh, or a plane if you can afford it, go to the bordering country and just come straight back the next day. And I did that, you know, pretty much for the like every, you know, 2 to 3 months for years and years. And luckily, I had figured out after a while that instead of you know wasting half a day traveling to another country just to come straight back maybe i could just time it where you know i'll work in thailand for you know two or three months and then go work in another country uh diving there whether it's in borneo or in the Caribbean or somewhere else and check out a, a you know a different kind of site or uh, literally a different sea different ocean sometimes and then kind of mark my way back back around and back then everything was, you know, kind of under the table. They were, in in Thailand, they're very strict with work permits. Mm -hmm. But back then, and to a a certain degree now, they know that there just aren't enough Thai dive instructors or dive masters to be able to to take care of all the tourists. So they kind of just, you know, overlooked it and said, all right, well, as long as you're not taking any Thai jobs, we're not going to bother you.
0: Yeah, because I know that Thailand has the elite visa, but I mean, I've looked at that thing and it's kind of a mess and it's it's kind of a mishmash of a couple of different things and it's really expensive. And um, it's it's cool to see that the, the visa run um, worked for you because um, I don't know how it is these days. Actually, maybe you have some insight. Can people still do visa runs in Thailand or has that door kind of closed?
1: Yeah, so now kind of the official or unofficial policy is... As long as you're in the country for six months or less per year, they don't really care what you're doing because there's plenty of of tourists that will come, you know, for one or two months and then just decide they love it, you know, and they just want to extend their trip as long as they can. And they're okay with that. But if you're there, you know, seven to 12 months a year, then they assume you're working without a work permit if you're just living there so then they're really strict and there's almost no way around it besides things like the Thai elite visa which is, as you said is super expensive or an education visa which has all these you know crazy requirements and they're they're, they're just a, a kind of a big waste of time and i'm so happy that i spent 10 years going you know to and from thailand you know from you know when it was easy rather than doing it now and i think nowadays I realized there's so many other countries with the easier visas uh, that are maybe the next Thailand, and I might as well go where it's easier for me and, and I'm more welcome.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I lived in the Middle East for eight years, and when we were leaving, we looked at the whole world of different visas and things that were available, and we really wanted to live in Thailand. First of all, it's super close to China, where my wife is from, and they have direct flights back and forth from China. Um, Plus I'm a celiac, I'm gluten free, and pretty much all Thai food is like automatically gluten free. And I love the country and I've been there for, I don't know, twenty times or something like that on vacation and for work. But I mean the visa process there was just horrendous. So we actually decided not to do it. And that's well, we we came to Panama for many reasons. But I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Take advantage of the things while they're available, and when they're not, don't try to force them. I mean, there's a The world is a big place. There's a lot of places to go. There's a lot of amazing things out there. And, you know, when you have that chance, go out there and seize it. So good for you, man.
1: Yeah, thanks. And, you know, part of me, I thought I was kind of wasting my time trying to find the next thailand because you know for the last five years even though things in thailand were still okay at the time you know just having the nomad summit every year in thailand was great you know we always had a big audience we always had you know 400 plus people show up without you know taking out paid ads even just because thailand and chiang mai had a great reputation for digital nomads and you know people Mm -hmm. wanted to go there but I just kept looking at new places thinking, okay, what if Thailand just one day shuts its borders for digital nomads? Where can we go next? I don't, I don't want the you know community to be scattered. And that's why I went all over Europe and, you know, went to like Budapest, Spain, Portugal, went to Bali. I went to, you know, Vietnam, you know, I went all to all the places where I had heard there was potential and I'm glad I did now because Thailand Unfortunately, as of, you know, 2020, 2021, I think it's not going to be as popular as it once used to be.
0: Okay, so let's let's dig in some into some of those other countries. Let's hear more about your travels. What did you find? What did you discover?
1: Yeah, so I discovered the the number one thing that was holding me back from really leaving uh Thailand specifically or Southeast Asia was the cost of living. Mm-hmm. And even though there's plenty of places in the world that Aren't expensive. They're actually much cheaper than life in California or in the U.S. They were just out of my budget at the time. You know, for for the first you know five years of working as a as a scuba diver, uh, when I was doing Muay Thai professionally, and even when I first started my online business, my budget was about a thousand dollars a month, which was enough to live in cheap places like Thailand. You know, for a while I was living off of six hundred bucks a month, but it really shut doors on the rest of the world. And that's when I realized, hey, I if I want real freedom and I don't want to become the grumpy old expat who just complains about everything changing and things, you know, not being like they used to be or things getting more expensive, I I have to take control and I have to earn enough money to have choices to live. Uh, anywhere I want in the world, you know, I need to have the choice to be able to go back to the U.S. if I wanted to, and live in California and, and be able to afford it, and then I can really have the freedom to, to to decide. You know what? I can do it. I can afford it, but I choose not to. I'd rather, you know, go to Sri Lanka or go to, um, you know, Portugal or or go, you know, somewhere else in the world.
0: Okay. So that makes sense. But let's talk about some of those countries. Let's dig into the countries. What were the ones that stood out for you as maybe, I mean, like, I would never say the next Thailand, but maybe like up and coming expat digital nomad areas?
1: Yeah. So the most popular ones, first there's Bali, which everyone loves because it's beautiful. You know, you get in whatever photo you put up, you get a thousand likes for it. Everyone's jealous. But... I've been there three times now, and every single time, it's great for about a week. It's great for the photos and and kind of the the beauty around it. But the infrastructure has always been terrible. Just things kind of just don't work. And it's almost like, I feel like everyone who who stays there long-term is delusional. (laughs) Like they're just so enchanted by, you know, uh, being in this cool place that everybody's jealous of. And they just kind of ignore all the downsides. And just I'm close a very one
0: eye to half of it, eh?
1: Yeah, and they really yeah. do, you know. And like the biggest, you know, saying is anytime something goes wrong in, in Bali, people are like, "Oh, you know, that's Mother Bali teaching you a lesson." And you're like, "No, that's somebody breaking into the <laughs> villa because they're, you know, they're, they're just like, this is happening all the time, you know." So right away, I, I realized, you know, what, I'm a very practical person. I want to be able to, you know, weigh the pros and cons of being somewhere, you know. And that's when I, you know, started going to, to Europe, kind of the, the next, you know, great place. Um, I tried Barcelona, you know, beautiful, beautiful city, but super expensive. Uh, I didn't want to have to learn you know, Spanish and then actually Catalan, uh, which a lot of the people there uh, speak. Lisbon was actually fantastic. I would say that's probably the place I would happily settle down and and live in forever if that was kind of my my option i think it's a great balance of beauty the beach uh decent food you know friendly people beautiful architecture low cost of living decent weather things to do but for some reason it just it was never it it just never my you know i don't want to say my cup of tea but like i just never really had the passion for it i always kind of just felt like oh it's a great place to be but it's not really for me And that's when I started moving more East, you know, I went to Poland and I I thought, this is amazing, except for it's part of the Schengen zone. So I can only be there for 90 days uh, and then have to be out for 90 days. And there was no real easy uh, visa to stay long-term as as an American. And that's when I decided, hey, you know what? Maybe if I do three months in Poland, three months in Ukraine, and kind of just bounce back and forth. I realized I really like Eastern European food. I like the culture. And the only thing that, I don't like is the weather. So maybe I can do, you know, three months in in Poland, three months in Ukraine, and then six months back in Asia. So it's kind of been a a mishmash for the last couple of years. Um, But I realized that there's a lot of these places that people don't, that don't really explore, you know, Poland, um, Ukraine and Tbilisi, Georgia, for example, which has the best visa for nomads. If you want to just show up on a tourist visa, we get one year. Every time we we we, we you know uh, get off the plane, and every time you leave and come back, you get another year. So, with low cost of living, good culture, great wine, great food, I actually think that if I had to choose the next Chiang Mai, Thailand,
0: it would be Tbilisi, Georgia. We will just take a quick break. Over the last couple years of building up the Expat Money Show and Escape Artist, I have been interviewed more than 100 times on podcasts, news programs, blogs, magazines, and newspapers. Well, recently, I was a guest on the Brian Nichols Show, and he was one of the best hosts I have ever met. I immediately started messaging my friends and business contacts that they needed to listen to the show right now. The show is for people who are tired of partisan politics, who are having trouble finding objective news without the media narrative, and for folks who want to expand their skills and understanding of complex issues as they learn from noted entrepreneurs, elected officials, C-level executives, economists, and more. The show has been going for nearly three years, and now with three episodes per week, there is a ton to keep you entertained and informed. Their flagship show airs on Friday mornings right after the Expat Money Show. So you can literally listen to a new episode of the Expat Money Show, then immediately listen to the Brian Nichols Show on your favorite podcasting app. Noted guests include Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, Matt Kibbe, Brad Palumbo, Mark Loebliner, Austin Peterson, Jason Stapleton, Larry Sharp, and of course me, Mikkel Thorpe, on episode 133. So what I want you to do right now is put this episode on pause and go and subscribe and turn on notifications to The Brian Nichols Show. That's B-R-I-A-N-N-I-C-H-O-L-S show. And if you go to briannicholsshow.com or if you search for Brian Nichols on your favorite podcasting app, you'll find it there. Okay, let's jump back into the episode. Yeah, Georgia is one of those countries that comes up more and more in conversations. It's just unbelievable. You know, I've been at this for over 20 years now, traveling around the world. And I mean, you go back 10 years ago to 15 years ago, most people had never even heard of um, Georgia, let alone the capital. And now it's like almost every interview, every conversation, it's coming up more and more. I mean, this this place is at the absolute top of my radar right now. So that's awesome to hear that from you as well.
1: Yeah. And Georgia is one of those country, like, countries where there's so many upsides to it that it completely outweighs the downsides, but it's not perfect. And, you know, I wrote a really long blog post about it, kind of just explaining, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Las Palmas, uh, in, the, in the Canary Islands and Grand Canary, where everybody, when they talk about it, they make it sound like paradise. And you get there and the first thing, you know, you, you realize, you're like, you know what, this is kind of ugly. It's kind of gray. It's not as beautiful as I, I was expecting, you know. And the first couple of days you're thinking, like, why did, why, did, why did anybody recommend this? But the longer you spend there, the more you realize, you know what, yeah, maybe it doesn't photograph, you know, as well as, as you know, uh, other countries, but there's soul, there's substance. And, and it's, there's a lot of Layers once you kind of peel it back. You know, so I would say, you know, for for a, if you speak Spanish, if you want to speak Spanish, Grand Canary is a fantastic place to be. You know, it has a little bit of everything, it has mountains, it has, you know, forests, it has beautiful beaches, it has city life, um, it has surfing, it has scuba diving, it has, you know, kind of everything. Tbilisi is kind of the, the mountain version of that, where there's no ocean nearby but you have beautiful old cities you have you know beautiful mountains nearby uh, great city life you know cost of living really low you know uh, and i think that it's going to be a place where people move to and they're just going to stay and i, and I know this because just you know last year i went for the first time and it, the kind of digital nomad scene just started there But those 21st people who, you know, who showed up, half of them are still living there. And that's really uncommon with with any other country where, you know, half the people you meet just decide to move there permanently.
0: Okay, well, let's dig into a little bit more of the dirt because this is fun. I mean, uh, like I I try not to look at things through a rose-colored glasses. Yes, I'm an optimist. Yes, I like to concentrate on the good things. But let's go into a bit of the dirt. What, What were the other things you just thought, Georgia, you know, you guys got it all wrong?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, it's a unique culture, right? It's like right on. Don't the, hold back.
0: Don't don't be yeah. like yeah, need to be politically correct here. Just let loose, man. It's cool.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, f- first off, you know the reason why no one wanted to go there or had heard of it, you know, ten or fifteen years ago was ten or fifteen years ago it was terrible. You know, it was a it was a dangerous you know sh- you know crap hole where electricity didn't work. Uh, cr- you know, crime was high. And it wasn't until, you know, uh, I think Sacavelli, the, the, the former president came in, and he was kind of a dictator. He came in, cleaned everything up. And now it's super safe, and it's fantastic. However, it's really, and, and a lot of things work really well. Like infrastructure is good. Um, the taxis are great, and they're cheap, and you can, you can use an app for it. You know, there's Uber, and there's also the the local ones like Yandex, the subway system is really good. The the internet is fantastic, super fast, super reliable, super cheap. Everything kind of just works really, really well. And the food is amazing. The wine is amazing. Everything on paper is fantastic. I would say the only things that are, are, you know, not good about it so far. I mean, first you have, uh, the cold winters because it is Eastern Europe. Uh, and then second, it's just kind of missing things where it's not developed yet where you can walk around for, you know, like for, for miles and miles and the sidewalks are fine, but you just won't pass by anything interesting. You know, there, there's not a, there's not a coffee shop culture. Uh, there's not that many shops you would actually even want to go into. There's only really kind of one or two areas where people, you know, even really walk everywhere else. People just hop in a, in a car, uh, or, or in the Metro and, and just skate by. Um, And there's no, you know, there's nature a few hours away, but it's just far enough where you're not going to want to spend the night because you can, you know, you can drive there in three or four hours. uh, So it doesn't really justify a a weekend trip, but it's far enough for it's annoying to have to drive three or four hours just to get to the mountains or to, Mm -hmm, you know, the
0: next, you know, like the wine vineyards or something and then what about cost of living break down like what what would someone expect uh, in georgia is this kind of that $1000 mark is it more is it less what what are you thinking there
1: so the 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 funny thing is somebody asked me cuz i had come just come from ukraine and they said you know is it more or less than ukraine and at first i automatically said like oh it has to be you know it has to be more cuz ukraine is so cheap and then i did the math and i realized oh actually it's it's less than ukraine and then they asked you know how's compared to thailand and uh, and automatically i thought this has to be more than thailand but then what i realized is for some things if you live like a thai local as in you're you're not living you know right in the city center you know or if you're you know uh, staying in kind of just like a a room like a like a studio apartment you know you don't have a nice big flat screen tv or nice furniture you're eating just local food you know you're taking just local transport you can live in Thailand very cheap, you know, thousand dollars or less. But most people, including myself, who live in Thailand, we like Western amenities. We like one-bedroom apartments with a separate living room, nice couch, nice TV, uh, nice kitchen. We want to be right in the city center. We want to take taxis. You know, we want to eat out and not just Thai food every day because you get tired of it, even though it's amazing. You know, sometimes you want a steak. Sometimes you want a glass of wine. Sometimes you want some bread and some cheese. And if you live like a typical Westerner in uh, Chiang Mai or in Thailand in general, you're going to end up spending, you know, 1500 bucks or more. And you you might as well be in Georgia because then you can have the same lifestyle, but an even nicer apartment, a better gym membership, better wine, you know, and better Western food for a little bit less money. So in Georgia, it's really, really hard to live super cheaply. Um you know, because it just they don't it's it's not really a place where you would have a studio apartment and, and local street food all the time. but if you're living like a normal you know person who you know, wants some creature comforts, it ends up being a lot cheaper than than
0: even Asia well, and that's interesting to to jump back to Asia for a second because I never found Thailand all that cheap. I mean, like I've traveled through Cambodia and Vietnam and Malaysia and Lots of the other places. I actually found Thailand to be one of the more expensive countries in Southeast Asia. But I think that's also because of a lot of the reasons that you just listed. Because I'm sure I wasn't living just like a local. Like, I never went backpacking through Thailand or anything. I'd go on, you know, a week or two-week vacation, and then I'd come back, and then I'd go again, or I'd go over for work and for meetings for a few days, and then come back. So I don't think I was ever really living like a local. But, I mean, when I traveled through Cambodia and stuff, like... That was cheap, cheap, like ridiculously stupid cheap.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was the same for me. We're in Cambodia because there isn't that many Western amenities anyways. You're kind of forced to live like a local, you know. Uh, but in Thailand, it, even during my first trip in 2008, I remember spending a $1,000 a week just thinking, I'm only going to be here for three weeks. Let me just have some fun, you know, uh, stay in nicer places, eat at nicer restaurants. and But once you kind of live there, longer term, you realize, hey, you know what, actually the best tasting food isn't at the hotel for you know, $10 a, lo- a meal. It's the little uh, street food corner for a buck or two. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I'm sure people are listening to this going, wow, like $1,500 a month. That's like a fraction of what I'm paying in Canada or the States. And 4000 I mean, that's probably more in line with most people's cost of living, I would think, especially if you uh, put in insurance like we, we've been talking a lot about insurance lately on the show and I had I honestly had no idea how expensive insurance is in the United States I mean I'm not American and when I hear it's like twenty thousand dollars for you know a family of three or a family of four it's like that's crazy move overseas I mean do you <laughs> you're guaranteed to save ten fifteen thousand dollars just right off the top from that
1: yeah I've done a calculation and In the, you know, 10 or 12 years I've been out of the U.S. and not not paying for insurance. And when I say insurance, I mean, you know, health insurance, uh, but also car insurance and kind of all the other things that I no longer need. Even, you know, factoring the cost of uh, what I have instead, like travel insurance. I've probably saved close to $100,000 in this decade that I've been around, you know, away. And the thing is, it's so cheap just to go to a hospital... And get what you need in Thailand or in Sri Lanka or any of these countries, where I could just pay out of pocket. You know, and luckily I've only needed to go to the emergency room once. You know, I had uh, tore calf muscles, so it was you know really bad. But it, the bill was like hundred bucks, and I was like, this is less than my my copay
0: would have been anyway. So why would I have insurance? Yeah, uh, Muay Thai. Just side note, Muay Thai, or how, how would you do that? Uh, with CrossFit actually, but Ah, yeah. (laughs) Good old CrossFit. Yes. I mean, I've had my injuries from that as well. Be careful with that CrossFit, man. That's that's some dangerous stuff. All right. So, so let's pop back to our, our conversation in Europe. So you traveled a lot through Georgia. You went through Ukraine, a bunch of those other countries. We've talked about the cheap end. What about on the high end? What if someone else is, if someone is listening to this and going, I don't want to pinch and save i mean i want to have a nice life i want to have a bit of luxury can you do that in these countries i mean what are the price points for for having that higher end life well it it can be unlimited right i guess just like in the u.s but what i
1: like about places like ukraine or poland is i live better than i would in los angeles or new york and it's still a fraction of the price you know when I'm in, you know, when I'm in Thailand, and I'm, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to live in the nicest place I can find, and I'm eating, you know, at the top-rated restaurants, and you end up still not spending that much money. I, I remember I went on a a date in Ukraine. Uh, it was like my first night there, and I, you know, I said uh, to the girl, like, do you know of a restaurant around here? And she says, uh, No, no, you can choose. And I said, No, like I just arrived. I don't, I don't know the area. And she says, Look, in Ukraine, the man chooses the restaurant. I thought, okay. So I pull up my phone. Yeah. I, started, I'm looking on TripAdvisor and the only place that looked decent that was within a, you know, a short walk, uh, had, you know, four or $5 signs. And I was like, oh, you know, I really don't want to spend this on, you know, on a first date. So I, I just kept looking, you know, scrolling through and I thought about, t- you know, hopping on a cab and I realized, you know what this is this is embarrassing you know i don't want to stand here for 20 minutes trying to find a restaurant let's just go to this place it looks nice we go there you know we have a nice meal beautiful setting and the bill comes and it was like 30 bucks for both of us and i think that included you know an appetizer uh, some maybe even maybe even a glass of wine each and i thought oh my god I can go to you know, a $5 sign restaurant for 30 bucks for two people. Let me just do this for my entire trip. So instead of you know, trying to find the best balance of you know, uh, what's a good value, I just started going to the top rated restaurants. And you can't really do that in New York or San Francisco or Vancouver without spending you know, two to $300 per meal. But in places like Poland and Ukraine, you literally can. And I promise you, it is the same level of service and the same quality of food and wine that you're going to get in the places in the U.S. So it's not that you're uh, getting less for for spending less. A lot of times, you're
0: just getting a great value on something that sometimes is, is way better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, lots of places I've been, my martinis are $25. And I mean, you get three or four of those going and then you get the apps and then you get, you know, the main, I mean, costs can get expensive in other places. But that's good to hear that it's actually great value because great value doesn't need to mean, you know, bad service or bad quality or bad ingredients. I mean, it's it's not about actually being cheap. It's It is really that difference there in either you know, the cost of the product and for them to produce it, the cost of the rent, the cost of the staff. I mean, everything is reasonable because maybe in one of these countries that we're talking about, I mean, for a local person or for someone earning that salary, maybe $30 is a lot of money, actually. Maybe that's somewhere that they might go, you know, for Valentine's Day or maybe that's somewhere they would go for their anniversary. But I mean, if you're especially, if you're earning income online if you have you know an online business or you're earning US dollars or British pounds or something like that that arbitrage between the two can make such a big difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times things that are priceless would be you know the location or their view. There's been so many times in Europe I'm having a meal overlooking a castle or overlooking you know a gorgeous beach. And that's just not really available. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have or how nice the restaurant is. You're not going to be overlooking a castle and a a beautiful tropical beach when you're in New York.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I I think this is a perfect segue because I do want to get a chance to talk about your business and kind of what you've been building since you left the world of scuba diving and and moved your life more online.
1: Yeah, so... The first, you know, online business I ever did, did was, I wrote a book. It's called 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life and the Cheap. That was all about kind of living in, in Thailand for less than a thousand bucks a month and pursuing my my, my passions. <clears throat> and from that book, you know, I was making, let's say, 200 to $600 a month. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. Maybe if I just write three more books, I can live here forever. And... Luckily, I didn't do that. I, I kind of uh, used the the same skills I had picked up from uh, learning kind of market the book and sell more of it to sell higher price items. I got into e-commerce. Uh, I really wanted to sell physical products because at the time I didn't really understand the world of digital marketing. You know, even with the book, I, I sold you know, paperbacks in the beginning. I, I didn't I didn't move into uh, onto Kindle or e-books until afterwards, and I started selling just expensive furniture from the U.S. to U.S. customers while living in Thailand. You know, I had kind of discovered a a method of fulfillment called dropshipping. And I did that for the next seven years as my full-time job, and I earned pretty good money. You know, it was like having a a physical furniture store in the U.S. making six figures a year, but I just happened to be in Thailand and instead of spending all all $100,000 I made, I would be spending, you know, $1,500 a month Max, even though I was doing whatever I wanted and
0: living a really good life. Okay. So with the drop shipping, did you, did you continue with dropshipping? Is this what you do right now? Or did you transition? I mean, what's the, what's the connection to what you're doing now with the podcast and with the additional books and the courses and the summit and all the amazing things that you work on?
1: Yeah. So with dropshipping, you know, I still have some stores that, that I run now with partners. I just got bored of it pretty quickly. I mean, I loved it for the first three years. I—that's all I thought about. You know, was optimizing it, starting you know second, third stores, and then I realized it's is kind of a, a boring topic to talk about. It's kind of like you know, imagine if you had a furniture store in the U.S. Like, the, there's only so much you want to <laughs> discuss. So that's when I started uh, the podcast on the side. Uh, I was actually a guest on someone else's podcast when they had heard uh, about all the success that I was having. And I realized, oh, this is fun. You know being able to interview other location independent, independent entrepreneurs and digital nomads is a fun thing to do on the side. So I started to travel like a boss, never really made any money from it. Uh, you know uh, I, I probably am, am down even even today, but I've just always loved doing it. And the connections I made from doing the podcast, you know really drove me to starting a in-person conference called the Nomad Summit. And that I've been hosting now for the past seven years straight. This year was supposed to be in Tbilisi, Georgia, and unfortunately got canceled because of the travel bans. But you know, with that business as well, it was kind of uh, up, up and down. Like I remember our event in Cancun, Mexico, uh, lost money. I think it lost you know eight grand overall. The one in Vegas we had barely broke even, uh, and then once in a while we would have a positive. Um, uh, year but it was always something i really loved doing i just loved getting digital nomads together especially people who were just starting out who kind of you know needed to meet other people who have done it before and i would bring people on you know on stage who were successful but really the the highlight of it was the connections people made during the coffee breaks or during lunchtime you know people would you know meet each other they would end up uh, you know becoming travel buddies or friends or business partners and it was great seeing everyone, you know, again the next year, uh, you know, kind of to reunite and Kindle. And I was just really, you know, grateful and fortunate that I had the money from my dropshipping stores of running them, but also selling them and reinvesting the money into uh, into other passive income businesses. That I was able to have these passion projects and hobbies on the side that sometimes would make money and sometimes would break even or, you know, it and, and almost didn't matter because I had my core business.
0: Well, absolutely. And as a side note for anybody who's listening, podcast as a general rule, I would say do not make money. I mean, like I don't make money from my podcast. That's not why I do it. I do it because I'm passionate about it. I I genuinely like it. I think that it helps me as a human being to be a more articulate speaker and to be, um, be able to formulate a lot of my ideas in more precise ways. It also is an amazing opportunity to network. Like, Johnny, if, if I didn't have a podcast, and pr- maybe if you didn't have a podcast, we would never get connected. And we got connected through Kristen, who's another podcaster. So, I mean, you get to meet so many incredible people by doing something like this. Now, trying to sell advertising on the podcast or monetize it in that way. I mean, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But, uh, I mean, that's not really the reason I think that a lot of just do these types of things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a, a second podcast that I started with my my co-host Sam Marks, who he had sold a, a company for close to a hundred million dollars uh with, with, with a bunch of partners. Um, but and he lost a bunch of it investing with a financial advisor. And he wanted to start a podcast just so he can have access to the experts and be able to ask the questions he wanted to ask. So I started that podcast along with him. And through that, you know, we've made so many connections, you know, we've, we've interviewed so many CEOs of, you know, uh, multimillion dollar companies. And fortunately that podcast now makes money after, you know, three or four years, but for those three or four years, uh, kind of leading up to it, it was really
0: just for our own kind of benefit of learning and gaining knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think at some point, I mean, a lot of people will start in the same path. They'll start reading books and then from books, they'll go to courses and from courses, they'll go to conferences. From conferences, they'll go to masterminds. But then kind of like at the end of that journey, I mean, what do you do next? You know, I did that for years and years and years. I was joining masterminds that were $15,000, $20,000 a year and, and sitting with business owners. And then at some point I was like, I can start a podcast. I can start meeting the top level people in the world and ask them all the questions that I think are really, really cool. Like I've had Jim Rogers on my show. Like for me, that was like the coolest thing in the whole wide world to get to speak with him for what, an hour, hour and 20 minutes or something like that and ask him all the questions that I wanted to know the answer to. Now, even if I was going to conferences or masterminds or courses, I never would have been able to do that. But a podcast kind of opened up that door. And, and this is not a this is not a pitch for podcasts and telling people to go out there and podcast. But it is a good little side note so that people understand um, the benefits that are secondary or tertiary to having a marketing stream like a podcast.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, the fact is, not everyone is meant to be a podcast host, or not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur. Some people are are happier knowing that there's other people doing the work and they can kind of just hang out and tune in, listen, uh, you know, come as a, as an attendee to to the conference or listen in on the podcast, you know, while they're doing their own, their own thing. And I really believe that by creating good content and creating good karma, it comes back to us in another way. You know, it might not for be a hundred money straight away,
0: sure. but it, if a hundred percent. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's why I, like, I can say, okay, on the front end of the podcast, I don't make money. But on the back end, on the connections that I've made and the people that I've helped, um, who knows? You know, I mean, there's just been so many doors that have been opened. But okay, I want to get back to the summit because I think the summit is just so super cool. Talk us through some of the other locations that you guys did it in. How did it start? How did it grow? I mean, what are the plans for the future? Let, let's, let's spend a bit of time on the summit because I think it's so awesome.
1: Yeah, so, you know, back in I think 2015, I had realized, hey, there's digital nomads in Chiang Mai and finally, you know, we're hanging out in groups of, you know, 30, 40 people, but it's always at a loud bar. You know, whoever organizes things, they they always do it at a bar because it's easy, it's, you know, you have some drinks, you have fun. And I kept thinking, you know, this is fantastic. I'm meeting people with like-minded interests. We can learn a lot from each other, but it's dark, it's loud, and we're all drunk. So the next day we kind of, you know forget half the things that we talked about. You know, why doesn't someone just rent a conference room and you know, you know provide some coffee or something and just you know, and a a microphone and let's just let's just learn from each other. And I remember asking a bunch of people at that bar that night say, "Hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And I remember the first five people I spoke to said it was a terrible idea. They're like, ah, mate, you know, there's no alcohol. Like, oh, you know, it sounds complicated. It sounds expensive. And I I was just so determined. I just kept asking people until one person said, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and the very next day, I shopped around for conference rooms and I rented, you know, out of my own pocket to kind of one that I, I thought, you know, can fit, you know, uh, just enough people, something I can afford that even if no one comes, I'm not losing that much money. And then I put a little facebook event uh online and made it donation donation only you know i had a little box uh, up front and said all right uh here it is uh who wants to speak who wants to you know throw a couple bucks in the box to help us pay for the venue uh, let's see what we can do and that very first year we had 100 people show up uh we had you know broken even uh and luckily i mean i would say the kind of the, the best part of it was it all kind of just came together you know i like people who wanted to speak they none of them had anything to sell they were all just genuinely you know uh and wanting to give value they're just so generous and wanting to share because for a lot of us we started without mentors and without guidance and there's so it's so hard to find good information out there that we just want to give back and share it but we don't want to do it to, you know, uh, one, on, on a one-on-one basis where it might just be wasting our time. You know, people might not, you know, really listen. But as the conference has grown and people realize, hey, they're going to be guaranteed a big audience of, you know, really dedicated people who actually spent money to go there. Uh, so they're not going to be, you know, half listening. They're not going to be on their phone. They're not going to be outside chit-chatting during, during a talk. They're going to be sitting there and, and listening and learning. And it's gonna be professionally recorded and, and put on YouTube for everyone else to watch. You know, uh, people were just, you know, higher and higher level speakers were happy to happy to come. And we've now
0: had I believe it's seven, eight, or maybe even nine events around the world. So what did it start as? It started as like a meetup group. Is that what the the, the drunken 30, 40 people in a room? Was that meetup and then kind of progressed from there?
1: Yeah, it was something like that. Uh, and you know, the kind of like those events were always you kind know, of super informal. It was really just kind of like word of mouth even. Um, but the Nomad Summit was kind of the first official digital nomad event at, at least in Chiang Mai. You know, maybe there was something else happening uh, across the world that we didn't know about, but it was it was it was really fun. And and you know, people would travel uh all around the world and, and they would plan, you know, a year in events. I would say that's probably the best thing about it is people would hear about it and they think okay next you know january i'm going to be there no matter what and because they have a solid plan and a date and a location you know maybe they'll even go and and buy the the early bird ticket just to you know force themselves to lock in that date it gives them uh something substantial you know to make that that journey
0: well and absolutely i mean if you have made really strong friendships, and I've been to literally hundreds of conferences either as attendee or as a speaker. I mean, you make friendships in that couple of days so fast and so strong that, I mean, absolutely you want to come back the following year. You want to see your friend. You want to catch up. You want to continue that journey together. So that's so cool that you've been able to do it in multiple locations, and then people have planned to join one another the following year or the following conference.
1: Yeah, and what's really funny is we did the Nomad Summit Cancun event, I think two years ago, and that WhatsApp group is still active. And once in a while, it just pops back up. Where people, I, I think it was just this week, I noticed that that, act, that group started getting really active again. And it's because people want to get out of the US you know, during kind of these crazy times, but also because of the weather, and they've decided, hey, let's all meet back down in Plato Carmen where we were, uh, you know, we were all kind of uh, meeting and gathering after the conference uh, two years ago.
0: That's awesome. Um, so, okay, so you've, it started in Thailand. You've done in Mexico. You were going to do in Georgia, but it didn't go through. Where are some of the other locations? How has the conference grown or transformed since you started it? What, what's that journey been like?
1: Yeah, so the, the the way it worked is every year, kind of around December, January, I, we would have one in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and that was kind of the core event. That was the big event that people would go to every year. And then uh, kind of six months later, we would try to have a smaller event somewhere else. And what I had noticed is the people that go to Chiang Mai are either already nomads or they're ready to start their journey. I mean, very few people went all the way to Thailand just to go for, you know, a weekend or even a few weeks. People went there with their bags packed and they're like, all right, you know, this is the start of my journey. Now, the people who would go to the the, uh, Cancun, Mexico event, for example, you know, it was kind of just an easy flight from really, you know, anywhere in the U.S. or some parts of Europe where it was an excuse to go to Mexico, somewhere that they wanted to kind of check out, but they were kind of scared to go to alone. And the event we had in Vegas were for the people who were even too afraid to to travel outside of the U.S. But, you know, Vegas is such an easy place for everyone to go to that that was kind of like the the complete beginners where it was, you know, it was people who... Often have never even left the U.S. or never really uh, dipped their toes in in, uh, in the trip. So we it was filled with Americans and Canadians who you know weren't afraid to go to Vegas because it's, it's easy, but were just couldn't get themselves to go to Mexico or go to Thailand. And the funny thing is that was the least financially rewarding event, and also the smallest event we had. It was just I think 120 people. But it was by far the most rewarding because every single person who attended came up to me after or wrote after saying, thank you so much for putting this event on because I was completely alone in this journey. And I had never met anyone you know, in person who you know, has, has done this or wa- even wants
0: to do this until now. That's amazing to be able to give a gift like that, to be able to bring people together and affect someone and inspire them. Because I kind of remember what that's like at the very beginning and just trying to get any information or to meet anyone who had traveled extensively. Like when I started, it was about backpacking. And I mean, I started in 2000, so we didn't have strong internet. We didn't have these types of communities. But I imagine even now, finding like-minded people and people who have taken the plunge to live this type of lifestyle, I mean, it's not an everyday thing. Like, even even go search on iTunes for other expat or entrepreneur you know, digital nomad type of cross-stream podcast. I mean, there's not that many of us out there who are doing this type of work. So good for you for for hosting an event, especially, you know, out of your own dime at the very beginning and then being able to grow it. I think that's super inspirational and I I, I really appreciate that. I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I, it, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, it it's, it sucks because I don't know if we're going to have another event because, you know, with the travel bans nowadays, it just doesn't make sense to put down a ten or $20,000 deposit on a venue or on, you know, catering or food, you know, or spend the money on, on ad costs or, you know, on a team. To then have a event, you know, get canceled or rescheduled because of travel bans. So, you know, all the 2020 events uh, were were canceled and refunded. You know, and normally, you know. Uh, the reason why events don't give refunds is because there's there's sunk costs and fixed costs that we you know mm-hmm. we as the event organizer don't get back but you know because of everything else going on i decided you know what i'm just gonna give everyone 100 percent refund make it easy um and also because i don't know what you know everyone's situation is i don't know when the next event's going to be and i've kind of thought you know what maybe uh Maybe this is kind of the end of the Nomad Summit where we've had a good run. All the videos are recorded. You know, people can go on YouTube and search for Nomad Summit and watch all the previous events. You know, maybe I can move on to using my time for myself uh, in a much more financially you know, viable way than spending so much time and energy organizing events that you know, aren't you know, the most profitable. Uh, they're more just like a, a labor of love but after having this conversation with you it's it's kind of made me reminisce and and realize you know what the those events where we didn't make money were still some of the best uh years like you know months of my life it was it was just it was so rewarding to to you know to put those events on
0: well i would never want to encourage you to make bad financial decisions but i mean at the same time, there's got to be a way to still do it. You just got to be creative. And, and I would say, you know, be patient and, and have faith because I, I do believe that things are going to come back. And, I mean, times are dark right now. There's no question about it. Like, I've, I've been yelled at from people online that, you know, I'm not yelling from the rooftop about how bad things are and how messed up the government is and everything like that. I try to be an optimist and I try to look at things, you know, through a bright lens. And I, 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 I believe in humanity. I am an optimist. Um, I think that everybody knows how messed up things are, are at the moment, but man, don't, don't close that door yet. Don't close that door yet.
1: I said, I I've kept, uh, you know, paying for all the domains and all the, you know, kept everything up. I, I was tempted being like, you know what, maybe this is time to let everything lapse, but <clears throat> I've decided I'm just going to leave everything going. Cause I, I do think things are going to you know, come back around, but as far as kind of the doom and gloom versus optimism personally my life is fantastic you know i, I you know i've actually made more money this year to kind of during this lockdown than than i would have normally uh hosting events because now i have free time to actually work on my actual businesses like my like my dropshipping stores and uh and my other kind of online businesses my investments have actually done fantastic um uh you know from the stock market you know going up and because i've made you know, my life so uh, location dependent, nothing in the US, you know, politically or, or otherwise has affected me. You know, I've been enjoying, you know, living in Sri Lanka as one of the few tourists still here, and one of the few tourists that actually still has money. So I've been able to rent, you know, these amazing villas, uh, stay in five-star hotels, you know, have, uh, you know, these UNESCO world heritage sites pretty much to myself. And it's, it's been amazing. <laughs> and It's, it's kind of, it's, it's sad when, you know, I hear, you know, how some people are stuck, you know, or suffering, but at the same time, a lot of it has been a choice where even today, there are countries that are open. There are places people could escape to if they want to, but I think a lot of people just, you know, uh, think that their, their situation is more dire than it actually is.
0: Oh, absolutely. People have closed the door mentally. And and that's it. I mean, they, they just, they've closed the door. I mean, we run ads on Facebook. We run ads on Twitter. And I literally get hate from people. You know, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. I mean, have you, it's like, have, have people even looked? I mean, we we publish a magazine. And I mean, one of the articles this month is about travel loopholes, about countries that you might think are closed but are actually open. I mean, the whole world is not in dire straits. And, you know, if you have been listening to what, you know, people like you or people like me have been saying for a while, it's, you know, be prepared, have that online income, be independent, take responsibility for yourself. And, and I guess my, my last kind of point on that is it's not too late. Like, like there's still things you can do right now. You can move your income online, you can move it remote, you can downsize your costs. You don't need to have, what was it, three cars and insurance and a house and all these things in the States. There's places that you can live um, overseas, like just how we started this conversation. So I mean, and and I guess this is a message for everybody, you know, don't give up. It's okay. There's options. Doors will open back up. Just start going through it, start working through it systematically, and you'll get there.
1: Yeah, so another you know kind of thought on that is, if people are just kind of waiting around for things to get better, maybe things will get better, but it doesn't necessarily make it, it won't you know won't necessarily make your life better. But if you kind of just accept the way things are now and say, you know what, I'm gonna you know become anti fragile. I'm gonna build my life and my business where it doesn't matter you know what happens uh, in the economy or what happens in the world, I'll still be okay. And I think that is a mindset that as, as entrepreneurs, as location independent digital nomads, I'm very lucky that I started early because now it's it's kind of funny where I think it's really easy to live overseas as an expat or you know to move to another country. But I forget that it was just as hard for me as anyone else, you know, twelve years ago, I just put in that work early instead of waiting for the world to force it upon me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Johnny, amazing conversation, super inspirational. I love what you're doing. If my listeners want to find out more about this, if they want to reach out to you, where can we send them?
1: So uh, Travel Like a Boss podcast is you know the easiest way to go if you guys listen to podcasts and my blog, johnnyfd.com. But you can kind of find me all over the place. I even have a, a YouTube channel now uh, about what I'm up to travel-wise. But yeah. Just take a look at the blog. There's tons of guides on there about all the cities and countries that I, I've explored as a digital nomad. Uh, and I make it easy for you guys to to move there if you want to. So just check out johnnyfd.com.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much, Johnny. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. And I will see you there. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. Talk soon. Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop Capitalizing on the Globally Recognized Resort Brand Coming.